Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Election College, episode number 293. Franklin D. Roosevelt, part two. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, here we are. We're back on the saddle again talking about our buddy FDR, and and we call this part two. We have no idea how many parts there are going to be. It's still impossible to tell. Oh, my goodness. We might have, like, 800 parts. Is that just poor planning on our part, or is it that there is an infinite amount of information we could talk about, and we just have to figure out what's prudent to talk about? I don't know. We're just a couple of cousins hanging out. (laughs) And now that we're not, like, living five miles away from each other... um. Maybe we'll do this podcast thing some more. That was so weird because usually when we're together, we try to podcast. But when you were like living close to me for six weeks, I think we did two, two episodes. <laughs> I wonder if anybody's still listening. Hey, if you're still listening, just give us a tweet or a shout out on Facebook or something and be like, hey, we're still listening. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we do apologize for the uh, the lack of episodes over the last little bit. We hope you understand. We've done this thing for almost 300 episodes with very few breaks, so we appreciate your understanding. Um, but for now, we're going to talk about a man who has no understanding. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. That's, that's not true. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He has no understanding of quitting. That is true. Very accurate because we talked about in the last episode that there might be something coming up for him. He's, you know, he's the assistant secretary of the Navy, and then he decides, hey, I'm going to run for vice president, and that he does. He decides that he couldn't, well, he couldn't convince uh, Hoover to run for the Democratic nomination, um, you know, because Hoover was like, well, I'm I'm a Republican, everybody, so this probably wouldn't go too well for me. Um, but then, you know, Roosevelt says, okay, I'll, I'll go for the vice presidential nomination. No big deal. Yeah. Keep in mind that Roosevelt is only 38 years old and this was quite young. As you know, constitutionally, you have to be at least 35 to run for president. I can't imagine me at 38 running for president. I know so much more now than I did at 38. Anyway. I'm I can't sure. imagine you running for president now. No, <laughs> no way. <laughs> so Roosevelt, he's going to run alongside uh, Governor Cox uh, from Ohio. Um, 
1920. And as you know, they get beaten. I didn't realize, Ben, that Harding uh, did carry Ohio, which I'm in Ohio right now. So I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the Buckeye State a lot. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, Cox and Roosevelt, the probably the reason they lost that election was because of their staunch support of the Wilson administration and the whole League of Nations thing and, you know, more of a globalist perspective that they had. And uh, Americans were like, you know what? War's over. I want to get back to thinking just about America. And uh, one thing to note about that election is Eleanor Roosevelt. She comes alongside her husband and really gets involved in the campaign. So after the election, Roosevelt heads back to New York City, which seems like so many people after something happens, they go back to New York. Uh, and he after the war, law. they went back to New York. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so he goes back. He, he practices law. Um, he's serving as the vice president of the Fidelity and Deposit Company. And he's also thinking about all the ways that he can continue to build those relationships that he had during the last campaign, how he can play things up a little bit so that he can, you know, become more politically powerful in the future. Uh, but he gets sick. And he's out vacationing. The, the whole family's out vacationing in August of 1921. And he gets sick. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot of different things going on. He's got fever. He's got some paralysis happening. Um, his his uh, bowel and bladder are not functioning quite right. Um, things are just not getting better for him. And he actually ends up permanently paralyzed from the waist down. And uh, they diagnosed him at the time uh, with poliomyelitis, which you're probably familiar with as polio. Um, But now we know that maybe his symptoms kind of added up to be something else. It's entirely impossible to say at the point, but um, he is left paralyzed and never is able to to walk again. Yeah, so we all know this relationship that FDR has with his mom, right? He's mama's boy. And mama's like, hey you know what, I think you need to retire. And FDR's not going to listen to Mama. All of his friends are like, you know what, you need to you need to do this thing. You need to build your support. Uh, we're going to be right behind you and take some time off. Go, go to Warm Springs down there in Georgia and rehab and feel better and do your thing. And... That's exactly what FDR does. In 1938, he founds the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis. And this actually leads to the development of polio vaccines in America. So pretty amazing. You don't hear too much about that. Um, But he uh, continues uh, through the 20s and 30s to uh, have his contacts with the Democratic Party. He is active in New York politics. He's also getting involved in the South um, while he's there in Georgia. He writes a letter uh, saying, hey, I endorse Al Smith uh, in that 1922 gubernatorial election. And Roosevelt 
really becomes a power player in the Democratic Party. So the Democrats at this time are having a lot of different things happen within the party and, of course, outside the party. And like Jason said, Roosevelt's involved with the nomination speeches at the Democratic conventions of 1924, 1928. And it had been a little while since he'd been in the public eye, and he comes back at one of those conventions and, and makes his mark. But the Democrats are kind of divided, like I mentioned. And there's the whole issue of prohibition happening. And he thinks that even though he's not an abolitionist or not going to really abide by uh, the laws of prohibition, he certainly didn't abstain from alcohol during that time period. Uh, he really wants to find a compromise that would be acceptable to all sides of the party and hopefully other people as well. Um, so he continues to build those relationships. He continues to have contentious relationships as well with other political figures. In 1928, Al Smith is going to be the presidential nominee, and he actually asks FDR if he would run for governor in one of the state elections. And Roosevelt's like, I don't think so. That's not really my thing. Uh, I think the, the Republicans are probably going to sweep everything. But then they convince him to run. He says, sure. And uh, they twist his arm a little bit, and he agrees to run for governor. Yeah, so... FDR wins by one percentage point. What happens when you win the New York governorship? Well, it's the most populous state, and uh, that makes you a contender for the next presidential election. One thing to note uh, during the time that FDR is governor is the stock market crashes, and the country slides into the Great Depression, and Hoover there in the White House is like, um, this is going to subside. This is just a temporary thing. Well, FDR says, mm, this is pretty bad. I'm going to endorse the idea of unemployment insurance, and I'm going to make government work a wee bit more for the common man. So that's uh, what he does. He says... I'm going to really get behind the idea of progressive government. And, um, hey, why not give aid to farmers and unemployment insurance and old age pensions? And, well, the Republicans are getting blamed for the Depression. The Hoover administration says, ah, it's really not that bad. And in 1932, it's his turn to run for president. And yeah, you have to remember that the Democrats haven't had a Democratic president since Woodrow Wilson. And so that's been a little while. And um, people all know that Roosevelt is going to be the nominee. Uh, he gets together all the progressive supporters of the Democratic Party. He gets together all the conservative supporters of the Democratic Party. But really what happens is his candidacy is not opposed by many people except for people like Al Smith, remember the guy we talked about a little bit ago, uh, who was the Democratic presidential nominee in 1928. And Smith's goal at this point is really just to make sure that Roosevelt doesn't get the two-thirds he needs to get the nomination. And, uh, you know, hopefully, in the end, he'll end up getting it, because I didn't win last time, I need to win this time. Well, he wins, we, we just know, we're going to go ahead and jump forward and say that <laughs> Roosevelt 
wins the nomination. And during this time, he pledges for a new deal for the American people. This is something, if you've heard anything about Roosevelt or this time period, you've heard about the New Deal. And um, we'll get into that a little more in the future. But in the popular election, uh, Roosevelt wins 57% of the popular vote. He does even better in the electoral vote, winning all but six different states. And this is really a kind of a turning point in our uh, nation's politics as far as the elections are concerned. It's kind of in a realignment election. And I think, I think this is the election, Jason, that we, when we were going through each election uh, one by one in our previous episodes or like our early episodes, mm-hmm. I think this is one that we entitled actually realignment election or something like that, a realignment year. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it was a kind of a big deal. And not only do you have the first Democrat in a long time coming into presidency, uh, you have someone who is not your traditional president or politician uh, coming into power who's going to make a lot of changes that people are going to like and people are going to hate. Yeah. And, you know, all but six states <laughs> are won by Roosevelt. Like, uh, like you said, Ben, 57% of the popular vote. And all the while, Hoover is like, hey, FDR. I think we're going to get along just fine as long as you decide to adopt my ideas. And FDR is like, no. Uh, so a little bit of a contentious relationship there because FDR was like, get out, Hoover. Uh, I'm going to change things up a little bit. Uh, and he does. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. He dramatically changes the face of Washington. And you know what? We had this long stretch where Republicans dominated. Like, even when you had a Democrat in the presidency, you still had, you know, Republican majorities in the House and the Senate. You had less influence from the Republicans with FDR at the helm because they take over, the Democrats take over. He appoints very, very powerful people uh, in his administration who are going to take the bull by the horns and change things up. When we talk about the economy being bad these days, and then you hear these references to not since the Great Depression, well, think about this. When Roosevelt was inaugurated in March of 1933. A quarter of the workforce was unemployed. And prices, like for food, (laughs) had fallen by 60%. So you can imagine, even farmers who had goods were taking a 60% price cut. Uh, Industrial production had fallen by more than half since four years before, and two million people were homeless. 32 of the 48 states 
had closed their banks. So it's a really difficult situation when Roosevelt takes the helm. Yeah, and because of this, on his second, literally his second day in office, FDR gets in and declares a bank holiday and calls for Congress to have a special session to pass the Emergency Banking Act. And this had been kind of based on a plan that was developed by the Hoover administration and, of course, some bankers up in Wall Street who really say, okay, President, you have all the authority. Does this sound like a good or bad idea to you, Jason? I don't know. All the authority (laughs) to determine um, if the banks are going to open or if they're going to close and to issue the Federal Reserve to put out some new bank notes and stuff like that. That's a little scary for me, but hey, you know, it was needed at this time. Yeah, so by the time the banks reopen on Monday, March the 15th, stock prices go up by 15% and bank deposits exceed withdrawals. So the panic is over and on March 22nd, the Colin Harrison Act was signed into law by FDR which ends prohibition. So you got a couple of really big changes that happen within weeks of his inauguration. He presides over the establishment of several agencies, and the uh, these agencies, which included the Federal Emergency Relief Administration, as well as the Public Works Administration, um, he oversees these, and you will see a lot of FDR's handiwork around our towns and villages all over this great land of ours to this day. Uh, You see uh, works on dams, bridges, schools. I know a lot of schools in my area growing up uh, were from this era that were built by the Public Works Administration. For sure. And then you have all sorts of other, like Jason mentioned, um, different corporations and commissions. Not corporations, but um, cores and commissions and administrations happening and popping up and, and enabling um, people to have a chance at something a little different during this tough uh, financial time. Uh, certain things that we're dealing with antitrust and whatnot actually ended up going to the Supreme Court and uh, resulting in a decision there that would change, of course, the way we look at industry and business today. Um, in 1934, just a couple years after, uh, the or the next year, the Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, was created, uh, which we still know very, very well today. And so, really, the answer, as we have we see it at this time, is that the Feds have to spend some money. The Public Works Administration doles out a lot of that money, and the Tennessee Valley Authority. Um, I remember my very clearly my history teacher in high school talking about the TVA all the time um, comes into effect, like Jason mentioned, where they're building these dams and, and power stations and stuff like that. So um, the federal budget does get cut. A lot of that is in military spending, um, which is not terribly popular, but they come back. Those benefits come back because of all the uh, the protests and things like that. So um, that is the essentially the first new deal. I mean, there's a lot more to it and a lot more that impacts us still today, but it really does turn the economy around and relatively quickly too. Makes the government huge, which freaks yeah. a lot of people out. 
And in the 1934 congressional elections, this happens all the time, where the party in power tends to lose seats, they actually pick up seats. So the Democrats continue to take over Washington, and this is seen as the public is supporting FDR's expansion of government and expansion of programs, putting people to work. And one big thing of the second New Deal, which uh, quickly follows the first phase here, is the Social Security Act. Uh, This establishes Social Security um, for elderly citizens. And uh, FDR says, quote, we put these payroll contributions there so as to give the contributors a legal, moral, and political right to collect their pensions and unemployment benefits and so on. So uh, he's saying, hey, you know what? The government is going to uh, protect you um, from being out on the street when you're old. And um, Roosevelt actually wanted Social Security to be a lot bigger than it ended up being. Uh, But there was some resistance because some of the labor force uh, was not included in the Social Security Act. Uh, He does consolidate um, some of the relief organizations um, that were established during the first uh, New Deal. By the time 1936 rolls around, um, when FDR is up for election for his second term, he wins even more. I mean, like, he destroys Alf Landon. Um, if you look at the country, uh, <laughs> Landon only wins Maine and Vermont. Crazy. Yeah. We're going to talk about that next term in our next episode because we've just got so much more to talk about with FDR that it's going to take us at least another episode to do. So thank you for listening and uh, thank you for indulging us as we get to hang out and talk about history every uh, now and then. It's a lot of fun for us, and we hope it's fun for you. If it's fun for you, we would ask that you go over to iTunes and leave us a quick little rating and review. That helps us a lot. Uh, tells people about the show. Uh, I looked at our reviews recently, Jason, just like a day or two ago, um, because someone like on a Facebook thread asked a question about reviews, and I was going to give them an example. And I was actually surprised to see we had like a lot more reviews than I thought we did. So oh. thank you, everyone, for that. Um, that's really great. Yeah, and don't forget, we do have a Facebook group where you're welcome to hang out with other members of the Election College community. If you go to electioncollege.com slash group, uh, you will be taken to our Facebook group. We ask you a couple of questions to make sure you're legit. Um, You know, people hear Election College and they don't know what it is. You know what it is, though, and we'll see you there. Uh, Make sure you use our link. You can go to electioncollege.com slash Amazon. We'll get a small cut of the money that Jeff Bezos is spending, and uh, we'll appreciate that a lot. Electioncollege.com slash Amazon. Yeah, we appreciate your support. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.